Welcome to the Scoop and School podcast. Do they worry you at all? Are you worried? Ridiculous, Morgan. My boy. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Your host, Stephen Kahn. What's happening, everybody? Welcome to week one of the college basketball season. And of course, welcome to week 11 of the college football season. I do love this time of year. We, we get both sports in full swing. I just watched Notre Dame lose its season opener at North Carolina. Notre Dame's going to be an infuriating but occasionally fun team this year. I, uh, I expect them to be right on the bubble come Selection Sunday. But as we hit November and we've got some big matchups this week, we have no time for college basketball right now. Let's get into the pigskin action. And the most important thing right off the bat, if you have not seen the North Texas press conference uh, post-game last week. Quarterback Mason Fine wearing one of those inflatable T-Rex costumes and just not really, no one's drawing attention to it. He's there with two teammates. They're just straight-faced. He's just answering questions in this giant T-Rex suit. He's like moving his short little arms around. It's hilarious stuff. If you haven't seen it, just go to Twitter, type in like Mason Fine, T-Rex, something like that. I promise uh, just... You know, 30 seconds worth of it is, is going to brighten your day up a little bit, much the same way that uh, that Tennessee Rally Squirrel um, hopefully did about a month ago. Uh, in terms of action on the field, got to go back about a full week at this point. Last Thursday night, uh, two undefeateds uh, played last Thursday night, Thursday night, and only one remained undefeated, although both got scares. Uh, first, Baylor did survive... Um, Against West Virginia, they won 17-14, uh, thanks in part to a blocked field goal there towards the end of that game. So they were able uh, to remain undefeated. But Appalachian State, not as lucky, uh, lost to Georgia Southern, probably eliminated themselves from uh, New Year's Six uh, competition. But we'll discuss that a little bit more later on. Moving ahead to Saturday... Uh, Georgia, Florida, Georgia wins that game 24, 17, that game. I, I wasn't able to see a ton of it because it was, uh, it was up against the Notre Dame game, but it went a lot like I expected, uh, that Georgia team is just a little bit better at everything than Florida. They're, they're similar teams right now, but Georgia's just kind of, uh, you know, they, they've got the better quarterback. Um, they've got the better running back. They, they've got the better defensive line, but their strengths for all the, for both teams, but just a little bit better across the board for Georgia and Georgia now in, in the incomplete, uh, control in the SEC East and, uh, and we'll try to keep it rolling and see if they can, uh, if they can provide some competition for whoever comes out of the West and maybe make it to the playoff. Um, the only other ranked versus ranked game of the day, um, SMU tried walking in Memphis, but left with a loss. You like what I did there? Uh, they they shoot out in this one. Um, Memphis wins fifty four to forty eight. The game wasn't actually that close. Memphis led fifty four to thirty two with nine minutes remaining. Uh, Memphis then uh, SMU. I'm sorry. Then scored two touchdowns. And two two-point conversions, uh, 16 unanswered to cover. Maybe we should be putting some kind of investigation into Sonny Dykes. I know a couple of you out there uh, really hurt 
from uh, those decisions to go for two twice. Um, then let's with, with where we're at right now, um, five teams could realistically win the American Athletic Conference. You've got Cincinnati, UCF, SMU, Navy, and Memphis all in legitimate uh, contention to win the American Athletic Conference. You've got uh, Boise State and San Diego State as teams that could come out of the Mountain West. And then you've got Appalachian State in the Sun Belt. So I would say all seven of those teams are, or excuse me, eight of those teams are competing for a New Year's Six berth. I think it'll ultimately come down to the winner of the American versus potentially Boise State uh, if they're able to come out of the Mountain West. But just a lot of... Uh, a lot of games worth keeping an eye on. Um, and, and, and Cincinnati and Boise um, both avoided upsets against bad teams this past week. Um, both had fourth quarter deficits. Didn't see either of these games, but uh, based on the box score, it's really kind of unclear how ECU lost to Cincinnati in that game. College football can provide some really interesting box scores where it's just like, how did this outcome how, how did the how did this team win and this team lose? And uh, certainly uh, the situation with that Cincinnati ECU game, but Cincinnati uh, as well as Boise, as I mentioned, avoiding upsets and staying in the race for that Cotton Bowl berth uh, come January first. Um, Oregon knocked off USC. Uh, USC was up ten nothing early, but then had four turnovers. Uh, that doomed the Trojans as they, uh, as really has been the case for a lot of the season with USC. Uh, remember back to that Washington game, they were in pretty good shape there as well, uh, but some crucial turnovers hurt them. And Oregon was able to pull away, winning 56-24. to And then uh, elsewhere in the Pac-12, Utah knocked off Washington. Um, Washington, they held the lead for the first three quarters, uh, then gave up two touchdowns in the fourth quarter, uh, allowing Utah to win and take control in the Pac-12 South. So now, despite what Chip Kelly might say, uh, Utah does control its own destiny there. Oregon, I said weeks ago, pretty much locked up the Pac-12 North. So these two teams do seem to be on a collision course for the Pac-12 championship. And now we were we were wondering if, if a Pac-12 team uh, was going to have a chance to make the playoff. Uh, we'll get into the committee's rankings in a little bit, but certainly the winner of the Pac-12 right now seems to be in good shape for a playoff spot. And uh, the if if the winner of the Pac-12 championship makes the playoff, that means the loser of the Pac-12 championship is going to be assured a spot in the Rose Bowl. So the Pac-12, like any, even if they don't. Uh, even if that doesn't happen, I think there's still a good chance that both of these teams are going to finish in the top 12 of the committee rankings. So I think we're, there's a good chance that both Utah and Oregon uh, have a pretty good chance to end up in major bowl games. So certainly uh, a nice turnaround year for the Pac-12, especially after just three weeks ago. Uh, I think a lot of people had had put a lot of dirt on their uh, really postseason hopes. Um I guess the only other game from the weekend worth talking about, and it's mostly just worth talking about because it's the game I know most about, and uh, and a lot of you listeners probably care as well. Notre Dame and Virginia Tech. Um, this was an ugly game. Notre Dame won by a point, as I'm sure you know if you watched it. Um, 
Notre Dame outgained Virginia Tech 442 to 240 yards. Um, Notre Dame only allowed nine completions in this game. Those are kind of the two good stats. Um, the bad things, Notre Dame had three turnovers that all took points off the board, uh, plus a missed field goal. Um, Ian Book missed several open receivers, including three in the end zone that would have been touchdowns with good passes. Um, the play calling, which I know is the easiest thing for fans to complain about, but it seemed like a problem, especially at key moments, uh, particularly thinking about a third and long screen pass to Chris Fink that just had no chance of being successful. And then um, captain right tackle Robert Hainsey, probably the best offensive lineman on the team. He broke his ankle. He's going to be out for the year, uh, joining right guard Tommy Kramer on the sidelines. So that's certainly going to create an issue on the right side of the offensive line for Notre Dame for the remainder of the season. Uh, but ultimately, the team did win. Um, it avoided what I really think would have been like a program-changing loss. Um, and, you know, it's important to stress that in 2010 and 2011 and 2013 and 2014 and 2016, Notre Dame loses this game. We've seen it happen a lot. And in all of those years under Brian Kelly, Notre Dame would have lost this game. This team isn't as good as the 2012 team. It's not as good as 2015 or 2017 or, of course, last year in 2018. But so far this season, they are doing what good programs do. And that's they continue to win games even when they're not at their best. This could still be a 10-win season for Notre Dame. And think back to all those years, all those like Bob Stoops, Oklahoma years. And I, I always think about this because back in 2012, when Notre Dame went to play Oklahoma, Brian Kelly was quoted as saying, like, the program that Bob Stoops has built here is the kind of program we're trying to build at Notre Dame. They almost never lose at home. They consistently win t 10 games. They put themselves in the conversation for national championships. And I feel, I can't help but feel like that's what Notre Dame's doing. There's no doubt this is not a great team. But they're instead of being not great and collapsing their way to like seven and five or God forbid four and eight, they're continuing to win games and they're keeping themselves with positive momentum. They were always going to take a step back this year, but getting to 10 and two would be absolutely huge. And, uh, and I applaud the team for finding a way to win. Um, my final point on Notre Dame for now. Um, so in the wake of that Michigan beatdown. And for 59 minutes of the game on Saturday night, Notre Dame fans were openly voicing their displeasure with the team, and particularly Ian Book. Now, I have absolutely no problem with people, you know, giving their opinion, whether it be on Twitter or, you know, in person or whatever you want to do, as long as it's within reason. So, you know, if you're just saying, hey, this guy's not playing well, or he's, that's fine. As long as it's within reason, you can voice your opinion. But if you and the player in question were not in school together, here's the rule I'm putting on it. So if you were never in school together at the same time, so theoretically, if they, if you're, if you, if you graduated four years ago, then you should not be interacting with any college athletes on the internet, whether that be Twitter or Instagram, or anything like that, do not tweet at players. You should probably never tweet negative things about anyone. But I think this rule is important, and it's also important to remember, and, and it was 
kind of, you know, beautifully brought to the forefront when Ian Book scored that touchdown, put his finger to his lips to shush the crowd, and then in his post-game press conference said, you know, I'm just worried about the players on the team. I've never played sports at a, at a super high level. I, I don't know why I added the word super there. I've never played sports at a high level. Shout out to Nib High Football. Uh, I love what we're doing, but, you know, let's, let's just keep everything in context. Has anyone ever cared about anyone other than who's on the team? You care about your team. College athletes do not care about you, fans. Even if you went to the school, or you give money to the school, or you think for some reason that you have some connection with this player, yes, great, you decided to go to the same college. In a lot of situations, you decided to go to the same college for pretty different reasons. And I think it's important to remember... And I know that can be harder for younger fans because you still feel connected to the school. You feel like you just graduated. I guess I'm 29 now. I'm finally old. I'm far enough away from it. These college athletes do not care about you. They're not playing for you. They want to win for themselves and their teammates because they love playing sports. And sports, it's great to win. They don't care whether or not you, Mr. Fan, are happy. I think that's important to remember. Don't tweet college kids. That's my, that's an end of rant. But that is, uh, that is, I think, an important thing. I mentioned I, I would, uh, I mentioned this on Twitter um, over the weekend. I'll flesh it out a little bit, although it might start to get a little bit of galaxy brain um, if I try to explain too many numbers and too many teams here. But uh, a lot of talk about Notre Dame getting to the Cotton Bowl at 10 and 2. Looking at the numbers and the rankings, it's going to be tough for that to happen. I just kind of want to give a warning to Notre Dame fans that if you think 10-2, and two, we get to a, a big-time bowl, that's a lock. That's not really true. Um, I'll just keep it simple and say that Notre Dame fans should be rooting against Florida and Utah and Oregon. I think that's the simplest way to say things. Notre Dame, keep rooting for Notre Dame and root against Florida, Utah, and Oregon. Because it's the way things work. You can't put a set number on what Notre Dame needs to get to. There's a scenario where they get to 8th and they don't get in. And there's a scenario where they're 12th and they do get in. Um, but uh, just in terms of what's ahead of them and, and the amount of, number of spots that are going to be available, um, it's going to be tough. And this is, this is a bad year for Notre Dame because with the two playoff bowls being the Peach Bowl and the Fiesta Bowl, those are two bowls that are usually available to at-large teams. They don't have ties to any specific conferences. So since two of those bowls are used up by the playoff, that limits the number of at-large bowls. The only one available is the Cotton Bowl. So therefore, you automatically have a Pac-12 team and a Big Ten team in the Rose Bowl. You've, uh, you've automatically got an ACC team in the Orange Bowl. So right there, a team like Wake Forest is probably going to get into the Orange Bowl, and that's where you get uh, a guaranteed second Big Ten team and a guaranteed second Pac-12 team uh, into the Rose Bowl if those conferences are in the playoff. So there's just a lot of things kind of uh, working against Notre Dame's chances to get into a New Year's Six game. Um, so like I said, root against Florida, root against Oregon, root against Utah, and most importantly, of course, root for Notre Dame. Um, rent like a champion. Great, great company. If you're going to any college football games this year, or if you're planning to, we're, we're at that time, it's time to start thinking about bowl games, playoff games, wherever you're going, 
uh, go to rentlikeachampion.com first. Before you look at hotels, before you go to Airbnb, God forbid, we know what goes on at Airbnb houses, um, go to rentlikeachampion.com, use promo code SCOOP, that's S-C-O-O-P, and, uh, and that way they know I sent you, and you're going to love it, rentlikeachampion.com. So the rankings came out on Tuesday night. Uh, important to remember that these rankings don't actually matter. They never have. They never will until the last ranking of the season. Uh, Ohio State, LSU, Alabama, Penn State, Clemson. That's your top five. I don't have a huge problem with anything. I have LSU one. I have Ohio State two. Those two are going to be pretty close. And we'll have an answer about who should be number one after this weekend. I do have a little bit of an issue with Alabama at three and then Clemson at five. Um, both teams have pretty much dominated the competition, although I'd say Clemson definitely has a slightly better schedule than Alabama at this point. But uh, I suppose the close win against North Carolina is being held against them. But just looking at resume, Penn State, I think, should certainly be ahead of Alabama at this point. But again, uh, we've got plenty of big games to be played, so all of this gets sorted out, and there's no reason to worry about these rankings too much. Looking ahead to Saturday, let's start with noon. Penn State goes to Minnesota. P.J. Fleck coming off that fresh contract extension. He can thank Willie Taggart for that one. Uh, James Franklin, he's going to be involved in the USC rumors uh, later this year. You can you can be sure of that. So two coaches with uh, with uh, interesting you know future potential uh, coming into this game. Both teams are eight and zero. This has to be the biggest game for Minnesota in decades. I mean, I'm not a historian of of the Gophers, but Sky Uma, I mean, I know enough to say that. And I can't think of a Minnesota game of this magnitude. Uh, they they wanted game day to come. They plead. They pled. They pleaded. They pled for game day to come. Of course, that wasn't going to happen uh, with with the game down in the SEC. But uh, this, I I think people are just kind of assuming Minnesota. Like, oh, that's cute. Like, you got to eight no, but look who you've beaten, and look at how close some of those games were. They've got players, quarterback Tanner Morgan. Running back Rodney Smith, who is on my fantasy team, so you know he's good. Uh, and then receivers Rashad Bateman and Tyler Johnson. This is a pretty good team. Uh, Minnesota, you know, their first four games against some really weak competition, uh, their their average margin of victory was five points. Then they get into Big Ten play, and their last four games, admittedly still against weak competition, but their last four games, their average margin of victory is 32 points per game. So, yes, they haven't really beaten anyone, but they're starting to play really good football and crushing teams. Penn State, I've been pretty clear about. I like that team. Uh, that defense flies all over the place. Sean Clifford has been better than I expected. Um, they've got playmakers, obviously. I feel like K.J. Hamler gets talked about uh, every episode on this show. So something's got to give in this one. I think that P.J. Fleck is the kind of coach that can get his team to go all in for a game. I think he is a big-time motivator. I think they've been building their entire season to this game. I think he gets the team up. I think he pulls the upset in a game that will be incredibly exciting. I think the crowd, despite being at noon, I think that Minnesota crowd will be going wild. I am picking Minnesota to win this game close. And then you get the... 
the downslide of when when you get get up for one big game, there has to be a letdown. I think then Minnesota probably loses two of those last three uh, with with Iowa and Wisconsin on the docket. So. I'm not saying this is some Cinderella story and Minnesota goes on and wins the Big Ten or anything like that. I do think they find a way to win this game, but ultimately uh, backslide after that. Also at noon, uh, Baylor goes to TCU. You know, Baylor's been rock steady all year. Um, TCU has been just on a complete up and down roller coaster. I don't know, this TCU team, Gary Patterson, they just don't seem to have it this year. Baylor's just a very small favorite in this game. I ultimately think Baylor goes in there. Matt Rule kind of keeps it even keel. Baylor wins that game by seven points, stays undefeated, uh, and stays in really good position to make it to the Big 12 championship game. I'm going to skip ahead to the four o'clock window here because uh, I want to devote the end of the podcast to uh, to LSU and Alabama. So four o'clock, Iowa goes to Wisconsin in what is effectively an elimination game in the Big Ten West. There's just nothing. I, I talked a little bit about Georgia-Florida and how Georgia's just better at everything than, than Florida. This is, I think, an even more exaggerated version of that. There's just nothing that Iowa does better than Wisconsin in this matchup. Uh, I think that, you know, home game for the Badgers, they control it pretty much the entire way. I'm not expecting to see offensive fireworks uh, with these two teams on the field, but that Wisconsin defense is really stingy. I know Ohio State made it look... Not that way, um, but I think Iowa has a hard time scoring more than about 14 points uh, at most, and and Wisconsin wins this game 10 to 14 points, up up a score the entire way, and it's just never really in doubt. Uh, and then in the night slate, Iowa State goes to Oklahoma. You know how does Oklahoma bounce back from that Kansas State loss? Uh, this is this is their first game since that loss. Um, Iowa State, some big expectations this year. They certainly haven't been bad, uh, but but not quite uh, up to, I think, what a lot of people thought their potential was, uh, despite having really to replace uh, a lot of guys uh, on that offense. David Montgomery, of course. Um, we see what Alan Lazard is doing with, with the Packers right now, and Hakeem Butler uh, as well. Lazard was two years ago. I don't, uh, I, I, I don't think... You don't need to correct me. All, all you people out there are going to rush down my throat on Twitter because there's uh, there's so much at- interaction with this show. Don't worry. You don't need to let me that Alan Lazard left two years ago. I am aware. Um, you know, I make jokes and then I lose my train of thought. Um, but yeah, how is Iowa State going to rise to the occasion? I, I looked at this uh, before the season started as a potential upset spot. And the season hasn't really transpired for either of these two teams the way that I thought. Uh, I still think that it's a potential upset spot. Um, but Oklahoma has a lot to play for. They still have their their playoff hopes alive. Um, I think this one will be close. I think it will be close the entire way. But Oklahoma, just too many playmakers. Night game at home. They are able to pull it out. Jalen Hurts connecting with CeeDee Lamb. Uh, and, and Iowa State just won't have an answer for that. Uh, and of course, the biggest matchup of the week, maybe the biggest matchup of the season, at 3.30, LSU visits Alabama, Tua Tagovailoa, expected to start in this one. We've come a long way from 2011. 9-6, to six, 
was the final score on my 21st birthday weekend that year. They played again in the national championship. If my memory serves, it was 21 to nothing. Or it wasn't interesting. Uh, the over/under for this game after that after that 15 point shootout eight years ago. Over/under in this one is 64 or around that, uh, depending on where you get it and when you get it. I actually like the under for what it's worth. Um, when I'm thinking about these two teams, LSU finally has the offense. Coach O really has it going. Nick Saban just doesn't really lose these games. I know that he lost that one in 2011. But he didn't... How can, how can I put this? All he's hearing is that his defense has been depleted by injuries. They've had to replace so much that this Joe Burrow and, and LSU offense, they're, they, it's, it's a new era for LSU. Hell, I just said it like 45 seconds ago. I think Saban really relishes the chance to draw something up on defense that is going to halt the Joe Burrow Heisman train, limit this, this loaded receiving core, and ultimately do enough on defense to let Alabama's offense continue to cook I think Alabama wins this game 35-21. to 21. It's going to be a big-time home atmosphere. How often, how often does Alabama really get to rock in a home game? I mean, they get it for the Iron Bowl for Auburn because of the hatred there. But they're just, so many of their home games are just 40-point favorites. This is going to be a chance for that crowd to really go nuts. Saban won't be complaining about people leaving at halftime or not showing up at all. I think in front of the home crowd, with people finally doubting them a little bit, I think this is a great spot for Alabama. I think they win the game by two touchdowns. And if you want some some future betting action, I think it's a really good time to bet Tua to win the Heisman right now. Uh, depending on, I've seen a lot of different numbers, but he's he's not the favorite right now just about anywhere that I've seen. Burrow is the favorite pretty much everywhere. You can get a pretty decent number on Tua. I think he comes back, he wins this game, and he launches himself into the clear front-runner status for the rest of the season. I also think it might be a good time to bet Alabama and probably add in a bet on Clemson to win the national title. People are getting pretty excited about LSU and Ohio State right now. Both are really good teams, but I still think that Clemson and Alabama are the two best teams in the country, and for some reason we're forgetting that just because they're not playing to the high standards that we set for them in our own minds. Um, and I think there's, I think an advantage can be taken there. So go out before the games this weekend, bet Tua to win the Heisman, bet Clemson to win the national championship and bet Alabama to win the national championship. And I think those three bets will be profitable for you. Um, I'm trying to, I don't think there's really a whole lot else for me to get to here. I, Oh, I will, uh, I'll give you my picks for week 11. So you can fade them. I am 11 and 19 on the season. It's one of those, you know, is, am I just terrible at this? Or are things about to flip? You gotta imagine I'm gonna get back close to 500 here at some point. Might be a good time starting now to ride with me. I'm taking three favorites this week and a couple big favorites. I like SMU laying 21 and a half against ECU. SMU coming off a loss. ECU coming off a really close loss. 
against Cincinnati. I have to imagine they're demoralized, and I think SMU should win that game by four touchdowns, no problem. Cincinnati laying 35 against UConn. Uh, Cincinnati was on the other side of that ECU game, so they got a little bit of, of a scare. They've probably had you know a wake-up call here. UConn is just the absolute worst. Um, this could end up being a push. I could see Cincinnati winning this game like 45 to 10, but I could also see them winning this game like 52 to nothing. So take Cincinnati and lay the 35. And then in the game I just mentioned, Alabama laying the six against LSU. I love that it's six. I think they should win by a touchdown, no problem. Uh, as I said, I think they'll win by two touchdowns, but I love that number at six. They, uh, they win by a touchdown and you get paid. Let's go with those three. Um, as for just life events, I'll be in Houston this weekend. going to play golf. Uh, of course, I'll be watching football. Shout out to those of you listening that will also be in attendance. And hey, shout out to the listeners who won't be in attendance. I love you all equally, uh, except for the one jerk who gave a one-star review on iTunes I know who you are, and your day of reckoning will come. That concludes the Scoop and Score podcast. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul.